Sit back. What NFC East quarterback? Relax. In the movie Ocean's Eleven. Put on your think cap. What prized possession did Danny Ocean get ready for the show? In chemistry, what is the name of the principal? And here's your host. During what year was the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Kevin. How's it going, everybody? Happy Halloween. Welcome to the Think Cap Trivia Podcast. My name's Kevin, and it's my pleasure to be your host. In honor of our spooky October holiday, this episode is going to be entirely Halloween-themed questions. We've got candy, we've got horror movies, history, tricks and treats, you name it. It's going to be in this episode. In addition, at the end of the episode, we're going to have a little bonus content for you guys. FPP Bush and FPP Piper are each going to tell you a scary story kind of campfire style and you know there's some weird paranormal stuff going on out there especially at this time of the year and both of their stories are going to send shivers down your spine I guarantee it um, but that's a little bonus thing we don't usually do that for those of you tuning in for the first time uh, first thank you for giving ThinkCap a listen and let me tell you about how this podcast is typically structured at the beginning of the show I will pose about 10 trivia questions to you and give you a few moments to think of your answers then I will go through each question one by one and give you the answer and some fun facts behind the answer. So each brief breakdown will hopefully keep you entertained while also satisfying your curiosities about each topic. My goal is that even if you're not the biggest trivia buff in the world, Think Cap will become your go-to podcast to supplement your knowledge and help you learn a little bit every single week. The show is generally all general trivia topics, but like I said this week to celebrate Halloween, Every question is going to be themed around the holiday. Now, if you're a fan of the show, or if you enjoy what you're about to hear, I would ask that you please recommend the show to a friend or to a fellow trivia lover. Getting the word out there about ThinkCap really helps my ability to grow and to produce more content for you guys. Um, To keep up with all the content that I do post, you can follow ThinkCap at T-H-I-N-K-K-A-P on Instagram or follow on Facebook with the same name. I post fun facts and historical events and other trivia challenges every week. And this week, um, leading up to Halloween, there's going to be some more uh, spooky trivia for you. So be on the lookout for that. And with that being said, let me once again welcome you to ThinkCap, and let's get this show started. Okay, so once again, I've got a couple different questions for you today. What I'm going to do is read each question, give you a couple moments to think about each one, and then go through and break down each question one by one. And then after I do that for all 10 questions, you will hear the free parking guy's scary stories. So grab an apple cider or a pumpkin spice latte, relax, and let me read these questions for you. All right, question number one. In the original Halloween movie, Michael Myers' mask was actually a Halloween mask depicting what famous sci-fi character but painted white? Once again, in the original Halloween movie, Michael Myers' mask was actually a Halloween mask depicting what famous sci-fi character but painted white? Question number two. What traditional Halloween party game originated from an ancient Roman custom that established who of its participants would get married first? Once again, what traditional Halloween party game originated from the ancient Roman custom that established who of its participants would get married first.
Question number three. Often played on Halloween, what song was a hit by Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kickers? Once again, often played on Halloween, what song was a hit by Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kickers? Question number four. Legendary magician Harry Houdini died in Detroit on Halloween of 1926 due to the failure of what small organ? Once again, legendary magician Harry Houdini died in Detroit on Halloween of 1926 due to the failure of what small organ? Question number five. Originally created in Ireland, what were the first jack-o'-lanterns carved out of? Once again, originally created in Ireland, what were the first jack-o'-lanterns carved out of? Question number six. Based on sales revenue, what candy is the number one Halloween candy in the United States? Once again, based on sales revenue, what candy is the number one Halloween candy in the United States? Question number seven. Released in 1932 in the original Mummy movie, the mummy was that of an ancient Egyptian priest named what? Once again, released in 1932 in the original Mummy movie, The Mummy was that of an ancient Egyptian priest named what? Question number eight. The plots of most of Stephen King's horror novels take place in what state? Once again, the plots of most of Stephen King's horror novels take place in what state? Question number nine. Trick-or-treating was brought to America by the Irish, where it became popular in the early 20th century. However, it experienced a temporary decline during World War II due to what domestic effect of the war? Once again, trick-or-treating was brought to America by the Irish, where it became popular in the early 20th century. However, it experienced a temporary decline during World War II due to what domestic effect of the war? And question number 10. This is our last question of this week's podcast. In what year did Starbucks first release its famous pumpkin spice latte? Once again, in what year did Starbucks first release its famous pumpkin spice latte? All right, so now that I have read all 10 questions for you, what I'm going to do is go through, read each question one by one, give you the answer, and then give you a little bit of detail behind that answer. So let's wrap all the way back around to question number one. Question number one was, in the original Halloween movie, Michael Myers' mask was actually a Halloween mask depicting what famous sci-fi character, but painted white? And your correct answer... That character is Captain Kirk of Star Trek. Captain Kirk 
It's actually a Captain Kirk mask. This is probably one of my favorite Halloween trivia tidbits. That's why I put it right up here first. I just think this one's so cool. So um, let's start with a little bit of backing on the movie Halloween itself. So Halloween was a 1978 slasher film directed by John Carpenter. The film follows Michael Myers, who is a mental patient described as pure evil. In the opening scene, he chops up his older sister, so that's why he ended up in the mental hospital. Pure evil, he is the embodiment of the boogeyman, and he escapes from the ward and returns to his hometown to stalk and murder unsuspecting residents. The film is considered a classic in the horror genre, and despite its low budget of about $300,000, it grossed over $70 million in the box office, leaving it as one of the most profitable independent films of all time. And its two most recognizable and defining features, for even those people who are not fans of scary movies, I guarantee you still know these things, it has to be the iconic musical score, the, the Halloween theme song is, again, iconic, and the image of Michael Myers in his white mask with deep dark eyes and like I said earlier the budget for the film was very low so most of the costume elements were purchased from a local department stores near where the movie was filmed in southern Pasadena California the filmmakers had intended to have an original mask designed just for their villain but they found that a custom mask just would have been too expensive for their budget so instead they went off to their local costume shop and literally just bought the cheapest mask they could find which happened to be a star trek mask of captain kirk which cost them all of one dollar and 98 cents um director john carpenter said quote the art director went up to burt wheeler's magic shop on hollywood boulevard which was right up the street from our offices, and he got two masks. One was a clown mask, and one was a Captain Kirk mask. It was supposed to be Captain Kirk. It looked nothing like William Shatner, nothing like anybody really. It was just a strange mask, which was perfect for us. So we spray painted it, altered the eye holes, and did a couple things with the hair, and there you have it. And yeah, that's really all it is. It was this strange supposed to be William Shatner looking mask but instead they just spray painted it white made the hair a little messy made those eyes a little bit deeper and darker and just like that one of the most iconic villains in the horror genre gained his look from a cheap mask and a little bit of spray paint and Michael Myers would go on to terrify generations of Americans for years to come Question number two was, what traditional Halloween party game originated from an ancient Roman custom that established who of its participants would get married first? And your correct answer, the game is bobbing for apples. Bobbing for apples is your correct answer. Now there are shaky historical records that apple bobbing began with the worship of Pomona, who is the ancient Roman goddess of fruit, trees, and gardens in whose honor an annual festival was supposedly held every November 1st. These accounts are debated by historians, so we don't know if festivals for Pomona actually took place, but we are more certain that the tradition of bobbing for apples dates back to at least the Roman invasion of Britain, when the conquering army merged their own celebrations with traditional Celtic festivals. In Great Britain, Snap Apple was a game traditionally played on Halloween in which a fruit is hung from the ceiling on strings and then you would obviously have to try and grab them with your mouth and another game placing nutshells named after prospective love interests near a fire 
to see how they would burn. If they burned slowly and steadily, it meant true love was on its way, but if it cracked or popped or flew off the hearth, it meant that your fancy would come to pass. And when the Romans invaded Britain, they brought with them the apple tree, which was a representation of their goddess of, of all plenty, Pomona. And during an annual celebration, the traditions kind of just merged and young unmarried people would try to bite into an apple floating in water. And the first person to bite into the apple would be the next one to be allowed to marry. British author W.H. Davenport Adams, who saw connections between a popular belief in the, the power of apples that people believed in and what he called Old Celtic Fairy Lore, described the bobbing game as it existed around the turn of the 20th century in his own 1902 book, Curiosities of Superstition. He said, quote, The apples are thrown into a tub of water, and you endeavor to catch one in your mouth as they bob round and round in provoking fashion. When you have caught one, you peel it carefully and pass the long strip of peel thrice, sunwise, round your head, after which you throw it over your shoulder and it falls to the ground in the shape of the initial letter of your true love's name. So um, there's a little bit of fun origin history of the tradition of bobbing for apples, a tradition which I feel like will not see much action here on this upcoming COVID-19 Halloween. All right, and question number three was often played on Halloween. What song was a hit by Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kickers? And your correct answer is, of course, the Monster Mash. The Monster Mash is your right answer. The Monster Mash was a single released in 1962, along with Bobby Boris Pickett's full-length LP entitled The Original Monster Mash, which featured 16 fun monster-themed tracks for Halloween time. It kind of all started when Pickett was performing with his band and decided to do a monologue imitating horror movie actor Boris Karloff. When the audience enjoyed his impersonation, band member Lenny Capizzi encouraged him to do more with the impersonation, and eventually the band sparked the idea of recording an entire horror-inspired LP. In the last episode, I mentioned some fun tricks that a sound producer used on Muhammad Ali's television show, and in this one, I've got some Monster Mash sound effect origins for you. So, in the song, there are some definitive spooky sounds, which you may remember from the, from the song as it goes throughout. Um, there's a sound of a coffin opening, the sound of a witch's cauldron bubbling, and the sound of chains jiggling. The coffin noise was emulated by sound producers by a rusty nail being pulled out of a board. The cauldron's bubbles were recorded with water being bubbled through a straw, and the chains rattling were just simply chains being dropped onto a tile floor. So you've come to learn, I guess, a little bit here that sound producers for these kind of uh, special effects type cartoony uh, vibe songs and shows and those kind of things will just get creative and come up with pretty much anything that they can get their hands on to get their desired sound. And the song Monster Mash did reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100 upon its release in 1962, and it remains one of the only real popular and recognizable Halloween-themed songs that's played at Halloween parties every year. I mean, there's not that many um, just Halloween songs. Like, you've got tens of hundreds of maybe even thousands of Christmas songs, but Halloween doesn't get the same kind of love. But Monster Mash is pretty much the one everlasting Halloween classic. 
Alright, that brings us to question number four, which was legendary magician Harry Houdini died in Detroit on Halloween of 1926 due to the failure of what small organ? And I gave you a little hint here with the small organ part. Your correct answer is the appendix. The appendix is your right answer. Now, Houdini's birth name was Eric Weiss. Weiss was born in 1874 in Austria-Hungary and moved to the United States at the age of four years old. Once he began his magic career, he chose the stage name Harry Houdini as a two-part ode to Harry Keller, who was a popular magician in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and after Robert Houdin, whose autobiography he read in 1890, he mistakenly believed that adding an I to the end of someone's name meant like in French, meaning he intended to be like Houdin. Um, Houdin? Houdin? Not exactly sure how to say that guy's name, but he ended up as Houdini because of a, a literary mistake there, and I'm not going to get into his entire career as an illusionist and escape artist and magician, as we're only focusing on the Halloween portion of his story, which unfortunately comes to the very end of his story. So Houdini passed away on Halloween, October 31st of 1926 at the age of 52. He died due to complications from a ruptured appendix in a hospital in Detroit. While it's unclear if the rupture was caused by this, there are some eyewitness accounts of a show in the nights preceding his death, and they theorize that his assistant is the one who ruptured his appendix, kind of by accident. So. Houdini claimed that punches to the stomach could not hurt him and he would have his assistant just kind of wail on his abdomen repeatedly on the couch in the dressing room. And this particular night, unlike other ones, Houdini was reportedly wincing a little bit more at the punches than usual and he would perform that night's show in great pain and he decided not to see a doctor for two days afterwards and by this point he had already gotten a fever and acute appendicitis so he kind of was just doomed to that point and ultimately as I said he would pass on Halloween of that year which kind of lands the famed magician and escape artist as a pretty much just a great piece of Halloween lore and trivia here. Alright question number five this is a fun one originally created in Ireland what were the first jack-o'-lanterns carved out of was your question and your answer they were carved out of turnips turnips is the right answer so, according to Irish legend, a man known as Stingy Jack invited the devil for a drink and convinced him to shapeshift into a coin that he could use to pay his tab with. The devil agreed, but Jack duped him and decided instead to keep the coin for other purposes and keep it in his pocket alongside a small silver cross, which would prevent the devil from transforming back to his original form. Jack eventually made a deal with the devil in which the devil wouldn't bother Jack for one whole year, and he also wouldn't claim Jack's soul once he died. Now, Jack was not just stingy, but apparently very convincing and swindling as well, as the next year he convinced the devil to climb up a tree to fetch a piece of fruit for him. And while the devil was up in the tree, Jack carved a cross into the trunk to trap the devil once again, this time he was striking a deal not to bother Jack for another 10 years in exchange for the devil's release. Now eventually Jack was human and when he died, God decided not to allow him into heaven and the devil can't really blame him, wouldn't allow him into hell. Um, I know that was part of the deal initially, but I just think the devil was probably done with Jack's you know what. Um, 
He instead was sent into an eternal night with a burning coal inside of a carved out turnip to light his way, and legend has it, he's been roaming the earth ever since. The Irish began calling this ominous figure as Jack of the Lantern, which then eventually over time just became Jack O'Lantern. Around Halloween time, they would carve their own jack-o'-lantern figures out of turnips, and I I really, I know I say this probably at least once a podcast, but I would recommend that you Google search one of these things, as they were super crude and creepy looking, very unlike the art. Yeah, it is kind of an art now that pumpkin carving has evolved into in modern times. It's it's nothing like we what we've got today. All right, question number six was, based on sales revenue, what candy is the number one Halloween candy in the United States? And your correct answer is Reese's. Reese's is the right answer. Now, Reese's peanut butter cups were created by a man named Harry Burnett, or H.B. Reese. Reese was born on May 24th of 1879 in Pennsylvania to a farming family. Mr. Reese had 16 children, yes, 16 children, and, I mean, pretty logically, he decided he needed a side project in addition to farming to earn some extra income for his large family. So, in 1917, he took a job at Milton Hershey's Hershey Chocolate Company, which inspired him to experiment with making his own chocolates. He created different concoctions from his home in his basement, and when sales on his candies exceeded his expectations, he decided to officially establish the H.B. Reese Candy Company. In 1928, the company would begin selling the famed peanut butter cups, which he called, at the time, penny cups. The cups were a hit, and Reese found himself selling so much candy that he was able to quit his job at Hershey's and open up his own chocolate factory actually down the street from the chocolate giant. He struggled economically a bit during World War II, which we will discuss in greater detail in the answer to question number nine, but he decided to focus solely on his most successful product, the peanut butter cup. So he kind of stopped making all the other stuff and said, you know what, I'm going to really focus in on my best product, the peanut butter cup. And his product skyrocketed in popularity. Um, Unfortunately, Mr. Reese would pass away unexpectedly in 1956, so he never really got to see the, the, the greatest fruits of his own labor. But after maintaining the company for seven years, his sons decided to sell their company to Hershey in a deal that included a 5% stake in in the company, which is now valued, they still hold it, it's now valued at over $1 billion and growing. And the candy tastes great and has a natural fit with Halloween because of its black and orange color scheme. I mean, I know it's one of my favorites and it's one of those ones that I personally always loved when you would go trick-or-treating and the houses would be giving out Reese's. I was always trying to get as much of it as I could in my candy bag. I just, I can't get enough of, of the Reese's, the peanut butter and the and the chocolate. It's just a perfect combination. And it's kind of wild to think that this hugely popular product that is enjoyed by people all across the globe had its beginnings in a Pennsylvania farmer's basement as he was simply trying to find a way to earn some more money for his family. And I think with the 5% stake in Hershey's, I, I think I can safely say that he succeeded. Okay, question number seven was, released in 1932, in the original Mummy movie, the mummy was that of an ancient Egyptian priest named what? 
and your correct answer is Emotep. I-M-H-O-T-E-P, Emotep is the right answer. Now, this 1932 film was one of the original monster movies, and it really put the mummy in the category of legendary film monsters that everyone knows. Dracula, Frankenstein, the werewolf, the creature from the Black Lagoon, I mean, it just all those classic movie monsters. And the movie was directed by Carl Friend, and it follows the story of an ancient Egyptian mummy named Emotep, like I said, who was accidentally brought back to life by a group of archaeologists. Interestingly, the original Mummy has no official sequels, even though there have been remakes since its release. So, a lot of those real original monster movies did end up with uh, official sequels, and this one was the only one not to have one. And another interesting thing about the Mummy movies is that even though we in Western culture tend to think of mummies as being monsters that kind of move around and wake up and scare people, there isn't any evidence that suggests ancient Egyptians believed in or considered the possibility of reanimated mummies. You know, I discussed mummification a bit in episode 8, but uh, mummification was a really sacred process that was intended to prepare a dead body to carry the soul through the afterlife, not for being reincarnated and living again on Earth. As a result, it's really highly unlikely that ancient Egyptians would even believe that resurrection could be possible. I mean, during the mummification process, they removed all necessary organs from the body because they believed our physical body had no purpose once we passed to the afterlife. So it is really interesting that we now kind of view mummies in movies and we play Halloween games by wrapping toilet paper around uh, others to create mummies. And it's really this perception is all based off that one classic 1932 film. Question number eight was, the plots of most of Stephen King's horror novels take place in what state? And your correct answer is Maine. Most of them are in Maine. Now, Stephen King is probably the most accomplished author in the horror genre, generating hit stories such as It, The Shining, Carrie, Salem's Lot, Pet Cemetery, you know, just to name a few. And there is kind of a common thread amongst his novels in that most of them are set in fictional cities and towns which are based in Maine. Now, King himself was born in Portland, Maine, but eventually moved to and settled in Durham, Maine with his family when he was still young. He now lives in Bangor, Maine in a home which, fittingly, is decorated with the likes of bats and spider webs on the outside. Now, driving through Maine, you will instantly kind of capture the state's inadvertent old small-town feel. The sweeping mountains and hills and foggy morning roads kind of create the perfect setting for a creepy story about the supernatural and the paranormal. King's novels do a great job at capturing the lonely and mysterious feeling of small towns that are almost lost in time. The author does a spectacular job of weaving his horror stories, obviously, and he didn't really have to spend too much time focusing on new locations for each as he's really just kind of able to fall back on his own experience with his large, remote, isolated home state. Maine does, it really does have these beautiful nature scapes. Nature, is, is that a word? Nature scapes? I might have just made that up, but I like it. It sounds good. Um, so the, these nature scapes, which naturally will produce legends uh, and superstitions about the creatures that people see living out in the woods, 
and those that kind of beauty naturally contrasts the the smaller sparse kind of poverty stricken areas and it just it, like i said it contrasts with that beauty and creates a natural juxtaposition which makes it just kind of feel a little more natural that evil could kind of slip through the cracks of the towns and cities and there is something somewhat indefinable about why Maine fits his narrative so perfectly, but the essence of his horror is just set perfectly in the fictional isolated Maine towns that spring from his twisted, dark mind. Alright, question number nine was another kind of cool historical one. The question was, trick-or-treating was brought to America by the Irish, where it became popular in the early 20th century. However, it experienced a temporary decline during World War II due to what domestic effect of the war? And your correct answer, the reason for the decline was sugar rationing. Yes, sugar rationing is your right answer. So let me tell you a little bit about this one. Early in the war, Japan conquered the Philippines, which were a major source of sugar to the United States. Shipments from Hawaii and Central and South America had to be curtailed 50% as cargo vessels were diverted for military purposes. And due to heavy losses of cargo ships to German U-boats in early 1942, the supply of sugar ultimately would fall by at least one third. And in order to ensure adequate supplies for manufacturers, the military, and civilians, sugar became the first food item in the United States history to ever be rationed by the government. Yes, sugar would be the first food item to be rationed by the US government ever. And this lack of sugar and the rationing order from the government is the reason, as I kind of alluded to earlier, that Mr. Reese decided to focus his production on his most important product so it's kind of weird you can the the sugar rationing can kind of be credited for unintentionally giving us reese's peanut butter cups as we now know them um he who knows where his business would have went had he not focused in on those delicious uh penny cups as he called them but but anyway on may 5th of 1942 each person in the united states received a copy of a war ration book good for a 56 week supply of sugar um so basically the ration book had stamps and you could turn in those stamps for an allotted amount of sugar or different supplies that uh were denoted by the stamp and naturally of course there were sugar shortages too so having your stamp didn't necessarily guarantee that you would be able to acquire sugar from your local stores or shops and again naturally this led to a de decline in the availability of candies that would be able to be given out during trick-or-treating and overall reduced the popularity of the fledgling tradition. But of course, over time, sugar levels would return to normal and candy would again hit the market in the masses and children would resume their favorite yearly tradition of dressing up and receiving candy from all their friendly neighbors. All right, question number 10. This is gonna be our last question of the day before our friends scary stories so this is a light one let's get through it and then I can get you on to those guys so question number 10 was in what year did Starbucks first release its famous pumpkin spice latte what year and your correct answer is 2003 2003 is the right answer and while Starbucks didn't quite invent the pumpkin spice latte, they, they weren't the first to come up with the idea. They certainly are responsible for making it as popular as it has become. 
these days you can get a pumpkin spiced beverage pretty much at any coffee shop anywhere as soon as the air starts cooling off a little bit and people start thinking about the autumn season upcoming. Uh, they're, they're very, very, very popular. Um, Peter Dukes was the man in charge as Starbucks product manager for their espresso division at the time, and he seeked to replicate the success of the Peppermint Mocha, which was released the year prior in 2002. He put out a customer survey on various prospective fall beverages to see what people thought they would prefer. And initially, the idea of a pumpkin pie flavored latte didn't pull too well, but they had a feeling and they decided to move forward with the flavor as a prototype. And upon trying it, they decided it was definitely more unique than some other chocolate and caramel flavors that might have pulled better and decided to take it to official product development. So to really refine down this uh, universal formula for the pumpkin spice latte, Employees sat around together and ate pumpkin pie while drinking espresso in attempts to capture the most important flavor profiles, and they decided that pumpkin and spice were the two most prominent features that they needed to include in their beverage. So once the product was perfected, it was time for a customer rollout in 100 stores to really test the market. The pumpkin spice latte would hit select stores in 2003 and those 100 stores had rave reviews and Starbucks knew that they had found an instant success. That following year, the spiced beverage was rolled out across stores nationwide and it just kept growing in popularity and it kept growing. And the exponential rise in pumpkin spice latte has resulted in an uncountable amount of pumpkin spice products that hit the market every fall, making the beverage almost synonymous with Halloween season. I mean, as soon as, like I said, as soon as the air gets a little bit cool, you got pumpkin spice cookies, pumpkin spice cakes, pumpkin spice lattes, pumpkin spice, you name it. it it's, it's really an interesting phenomenon that all started with Starbucks and Mr. Peter Dukes releasing the pumpkin spice latte in 2003. All right, so that's it for our 10 questions. If you've made it this far, I thank you for hanging out with me, and I hope that you are able to learn a little bit before we get to our scary stories. I just want to say that if you enjoyed the show, uh, it really helps us if you would please leave a review, like, or subscribe, or follow on whatever streaming platform you're listening to. If you can, any feedback from you guys is huge and really helps us to take this podcast to the next level. Um, I'll once again plug the Instagram, at T-H-I-N-K-K-A-P, Um, Go ahead, follow us on there. I post uh, weekly trivia, fun facts, and those kind of things. This week, everything's obviously going to be Halloween-themed. I'm an October baby myself, so I've always just had a uh, fondness for the fall time and apple pies and Halloween and all those fun things. So um, one more thing, if uh, you guys have any topics that you want to hear about, um, DM them to me on Instagram or comment on any of ThinkCap's posts. Um, anything that you guys want to hear, I love to incorporate into the shows. So um, do that if you have any good ideas. Um, once again, I want to thank you for listening. And I will catch you next week back with general trivia. So now what I'm going to do, we have some spooky stories from FPP Bush and FPP Piper. And so what I'm going to need you guys to do is kind of sit back, turn the lights off, maybe grab a a flashlight or sit in front of a fire and maybe crack open a uh, Oktoberfest lager of some sort 
not if, if you're under 21, of course, don't do that. But you kind of put yourself in the mood that you're in a campfire listening to some scary stories. So with that being said, I once again want to thank you guys for listening. And I will catch you next week. And I hope that you enjoy these scary stories from Bush and from Piper. What's up, everybody? Bush here. And I want to give you guys this crazy story that happened to me when I was back in college. So just a little backstory here. There's this back road in Pennsylvania nicknamed Devil's Road, but it's formerly known as Cossert Road. And you can Google the road and read about it. It has a ton of paranormal history. Uh, the, the movie The Village was recorded there. So to give a little bit of a brief summary, the DuPont family, which is a major famous family in the Northeast area, they owned a mansion on Cossert Road years ago. And it was nicknamed the Colt House because of strange activities that occurred on the property, including reported black magic and neighbors hearing unexplained demonic voices in the surrounding woods. So locals, you know, everyone who lives in that area said that they've seen the DuPont family um, and they've heard that the DuPont family has married their cousins and, and their siblings, etc. to confirm that the money stays inside the family. So, you know, uh, along with that, as well the family also buried any of their children that they had through incest in trees all along that road so when you drive down Cossert Road it's this really tight narrow windy road in the hills of Pennsylvania all these different trees are pointed in different directions and some of the tree trunks even have taken the shape of the baby's faces and you can easily tell how accurate it is when you drive down the road you see three or four of those trees it is crazy scary how much of a human face it truly looks like so like any typical college kid i wanted to investigate the legends surrounding the creepy road and uh and it was halloween of 2017 that my friends and i decided to take a drive out to Cossert road uh, it was around 11 p.m when we arrived there a completely dark and wooded area with no houses in sight whatsoever uh, my three friends and i drove down the back road all alone taking notice that the, all the trees were pointing in all crazy directions away from the road. After driving on it and seeing a church and a couple other sketchy scenes, literally minutes later, we arrived at the giant Colt house driveway. And my buddy slowed the car down to like the slowest of, of crawls that a car can go, like one mile an hour, it felt like. And as we were in um, the thick of the mansion area, there was this long driveway behind the gate that continued uphill towards the mansion. And we could barely see the house because of the trees that lined the driveway, which was blocking our view pretty bad. But it was quite evident that people definitely still gathered back there. Um, by the quality of the mansion and the church along that road, they were both very good-looking buildings. So a few minutes later, after being on the road for about 15 minutes during our slow, slow crawl, uh, I turned around just to check behind us and see what was going on. Sure enough, right behind us was a black SUV with no lights on, trailing us as we were trying tracking down that road. Terrifying, right? So I told my buddy, I said, yo, you need to go as fast as possible. I feel so scared right now. This is terrifying. You, you need to step on the gas. So jokingly, he just remains going at a crawl pace of a speed. And I was like, are you kidding me, dude? Like, there's literally video footage of me saying, you gotta go, dude, you gotta go. Sure enough, we turn around, my other buddies see the SUV. I feel like the same second we turned around to look at the SUV, the big black car behind us flicked on its high beams 
I guess they saw us looking at them and they flicked on their high beams and they were tracking us with their high beams on and we could barely even see the road now. So, you know, we took off at that point because we were terrified approached like 50 miles an hour on the back road uh, but we literally could not get any relief uh you know because the suv was right behind us and their high beams were obviously making it very difficult to see so the road was coming to an end we banked a left onto a new different back road and that eventually took us over to the highway and i turned around to see if the suv was still tracking us and it had stopped at the very end of that road flicked off its lights and it basically disappeared in the night and it was terrifying. And so we just kept driving, like I said, until we reached the highway. And honestly, I don't know what I was afraid of at that point in time, be it the cult house, be it just the scariness of the road in general. This black SUV that numerous other people said has followed them on the road and done the same thing where it follows them without their headlights on and then flicks their high beams on at one point and tracks you down. I didn't know if we were going to die. I didn't know if we were going to get kidnapped. I didn't know what was going to happen. But to this day, I have not and I will not return to Devil's Road. Back in the early 90s, there was a naval exercise that took place south of Bermuda and east of Florida, right in the Bermuda Triangle. It was going to happen right before a hurricane was supposed to go through, so there would be no visibility and heavy seas. They'd have to rely on all their technology instead. One day, they were supposed to start looking for one of the submarines that was placed there, and they turned on sonar and radar and everything like that. And ever, it was all normal until one of the guys on sonar started pinging something that wasn't the submarine, but instead was way deeper and moving really, really fast. At that point, he also said that they started hearing strange sounds, like unnatural sounds. And it's, it stopped right in the water after going so fast, it was impossible. And then it started rising to the top of the, the ocean and it disappeared for a minute. But then it came back as a radar blip, so it wasn't underwater anymore, it was in the air. And it started gaining altitude really, really quickly, unnaturally quickly. Just when people were trying to figure out what was going on, it started moving towards where all the ships were. But they couldn't see it because it was so bad out, all the fog and the storms everything like that, and none of the ships could see it. They tried to establish contact with it, but couldn't hear anything back except static. Then once it got into range of where they could have locked onto it and maybe fired something, it started moving at an unimaginable speed, and it flew right over them, but they still couldn't see anything or even hear anything anymore. And then the radar blip disappeared like nothing had happened. After that, they said the weather started to break. The hurricane that was coming through had gone back out to sea. And within minutes, the sun was shining and it was a beautiful day in the Caribbean. And even though all the ships had experienced this phenomenon, they said it was tech problems caused from the magnetic flux from the storm. But my dad, who was the captain of the main ship, was skeptical. Nothing else could have caused tech problems on so many ships to so many different systems at the same time. Instead, he thinks that there was something down there that's not from this planet at all. 